Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 52. A nice little week. Brew Crew gets a sweep of the Mets. The kids are cooking. The rookies are cooking. And these aren't even the best rookies. The best rookies are still in the minor leagues, supposedly. We'll discuss that as the Brewers get set for a big early season matchup with the St. Louis Cardinals getting underway tonight at AmFam Field. The Bucks took care of business this week, taking care of business. We can't play the song because we don't own the rights, but you know what I mean. It's in your head now. Now that I've said it, you can think of it. They get the number one seed all roads to an NBA title, have to travel through the Deer District and Pfizer Forum, and we'll have a little Masters conversation at the end. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's hard. Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, and and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a pinnacle ball, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, where do you want to start? It is a good week. Good week for the Brewers and Bucks fans out there. We'll start with the Bucks. Give me some Bucks lost, Eddie J. Lemberger. Has everybody heard this? This is the same guy who made I Love My Green Bay Packers. Got Bucks lost. Just a jam. I love my Milwaukee Bucks. This guy's the John Lennon of his era. You can't find a song running like that. seed locked out this week. Yeah, Eddie J. Lemberger. It is a weird history for Eddie J. Lemberger. He came out with that I Love My Green Bay Packers song. I believe you probably know that one, too. I Love My Green Bay Packers. That was in the 90s. I want to say during the Favre era or when that whole renaissance was starting. He went away for 25 years, and then when the Bucks made their run in 2021, all of a sudden, inspiration struck, and Eddie J. Lemberger came out with that banger that summer. Got Bucks lust. Oh, we talked about it on the pod on Monday. Had a chance to get it done. We thought, speculated at the end of that podcast that maybe we'd come back on Friday and have a clearer picture of who is going to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And we have a very clear picture. It's 1080p or 1240i or whatever the top resolution is now. It is the Milwaukee Bucks. They went into Washington on Tuesday. No Chris Middleton in that game. Giannis threw down a triple-double. Johnny Davis had a nice game for the Wizards. He's come on. There was some concern that he was just going to be an outright bust, which happens in the NBA. I was going to say more so than other sports, but maybe not. It happens in the NFL, too, where you draft a guy and then maybe not that high. 
you draft a guy and it's just it's instant. It's instantly apparent they're not ready for the next level. There have been a lot of guys like that in the top 10, top 5, top 15 that just never figure it out. And you were hoping that would not be the case. He was drafted 10th overall by the Wizards out of Wisconsin and then just really scuffled in summer league and really scuffled in training camp and couldn't get it together to make the roster to begin the year. Went down to the G League, was pretty bad in the G League for a while. And at that point, you started to think, Ooh, I don't know if this is going to happen for Johnny, but he got it together. He found his shot. And now with the Wizards out of playoff contention, they're resting pretty much everybody on their roster. That allows for the young guys to get playing time. Bucks fans over the years know this time of year. It's not that long ago. pre Giannis era, it's not that long ago that this was what the Bucks would do where they'd have 25 or 26 wins. End of the year, you'd see a lot of the young guys or call-ups or make moves or pick a guy up off of waivers and try to give him some run and see if he can give you something in the future. We're very used to this time of year. But since he has gotten more run and more minutes, he's been playing well. He had 20 points on Tuesdays, had 20-plus for four or five straight games. That's great to see. Good to see him making his way in the NBA, and maybe he'll be a part of the Wizards' future plans. It looks like he's at least putting himself in that spot where he'll be in that part of the conversation. That's good for the Badgers, too, tangentially a little bit, that you see a guy come from Wisconsin that can produce in the NBA. That does help. It helps Greg Gard and his coaching staff when they go into a kid's living room and try to recruit somebody and say, hey, we've had Sam Decker not that long ago. Lottery pick, Frank Kaminsky, lottery pick, Johnny Davis, lottery pick. They've had other guys, too, over the years. John Lohr had a fairly successful NBA career by the standards, maybe, that we, we thought. And the Bucks are still paying him. Remember they acquired him? Bucks, I believe, are still paying John Lohr a million or two for the next few years. They've had some guys that have come out and seen success at the NBA level, and that does help. That's what John Calipari does. Obviously, the Badgers will never be at that level, or maybe they will be one day. If they get the Luke Fickle of Wisconsin hoops to come in at some point, maybe they will be. Well, that's what all those college coaches do. They sit on the Davenport. They sit in the living room and they talk to a kid and talk to his parents. And they have a whole roster of you come to Kentucky and in a year or two, you'll be set for the NBA. And look at all these guys that have had success and are cashing big checks in the NBA and winning championships. That's what those college coaches do. And the more guys that you have come out of your program that have success in the NBA, the more appealing it is for young, talented players to come to your school. That does help. Johnny Davis being good in the NBA does help the Wisconsin Badgers, at least a little loosely, I guess I would say. Anyway, Badgers, or the Bucks get the win in Washington on Tuesday. And then we had that night, the Sixers did us a favor by beating the Celtics in Philly. The only bummer of that is Joel Embiid probably is going to get the MVP based on his performance that night. And it felt like right before that game, from the Sunday night win for the Bucks against the Sixers, when Giannis outplayed Joel Embiid in every way, shape, and form in that game, from that moment until Embiid dropped the 52 in the win against the Celtics on Tuesday, it felt like there was finally some momentum and articles and blue checkmark national writers on Twitter that were saying, hey, maybe we're overthinking this whole MVP thing after Giannis outplayed Embiid. For that 48-hour stretch, you saw a lot of people saying, you know what, Giannis, <laughs> he turns up, it's the he's the best player on the best team in the NBA, and perhaps that is the person that should win the most valuable player in the league award. And for that window of time, it really felt like some momentum was building for Giannis and that Embiid went out on, on in front of a national TV audience and the Sixers beat the Celtics in a primetime matchup and he was unstoppable that night. He was. Dropped 52 points. Couldn't miss. And when you drop a 50-burger and you're in the running for MVP and it's kind of a tight race, you drop a 50-burger in a big win and it's the end of the year, that's going to be one of the lasting impressions voters see. 
it feels fairly likely that now Embiid is going to be the guy that gets the MVP, which I don't hate as much as Jokic. We talked about this weeks ago about how I can't handle, and a lot of NBA fans could not handle, Jokic being the first back-to-back-to-back MVP since Larry Bird because there have been so many deserving players in that interim, Jordan, LeBron, Kobe, Tim Dunk, I mean, the list is extensive, that did not get that. And we're saying Nikola Jokic is the first guy that's that good that gets that that three straight MVP designation since Larry Legend? Come on. So at the end of the day, I guess, if you're going to give it to somebody not Giannis, as much as I don't like the Sixers and I don't like Embiid, I would prefer Embiid gets his first to Jokic getting his third straight MVP and having that as a part of his history in the game. But with Embiid putting up that 52, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard for Giannis. It was hard anyway. It was a real short spurt in those two days where it felt like finally a lot of people were recognizing the chances that Giannis should and could win the MVP were improving. But then that 52 puts it in a pretty tough spot. But we'll take it. I think Bucks fans will take that. We'll make that trade. Embiid gets the MVP, and the Bucks got a step closer to the one seed. Then on Wednesday, with the Bulls in town, second game of a back-to-back, Giannis warmed up in that game, did not play. They decided to give him a rest that night. The more concerning part was Chris Middleton on Wednesday, which we've got great news on. We just got this news an hour ago from Shams on Twitter. We'll talk about it in a second. But Middleton, on his first shot attempt, came down a bit awkwardly and was clearly hobbled on that right knee. And that's the knee that they've had for knee soreness. Every time the injury report comes out and he's down with knee soreness, that's the knee, that's the right knee. Which, by the way, is not the knee he injured in the playoffs last year. That's something I learned, what day is it today, Friday? That's something I learned Thursday on Twitter. Because until the news came out this morning that things look like it's going to be okay and the MRI was fairly clean. Until that news this morning and until the news on Thursday that I read on Twitter, I had always assumed the right knee was the knee that he had a torn ligament in against the Bulls in the playoffs last year that sidelined him for the remainder of the year. That is incorrect. That was his left knee. His left knee was the one he hurt in the playoffs last year. His right knee, he tore his MCL in back in college at Texas A&M, and apparently it's given him trouble in some way every year since, and they've had to have routine maintenance on it. But that goes all the way back to his college days. When that news came out on Thursday, I felt a little bit better that at least it's not the knee that sidelined him for the remainder of last year. And then the news this morning from Shams is even better. He had the MRI. The MRI is clean. He's going to rehab it and try to be ready for the first round of the playoffs. That is fantastic news, but it was very concerning on Wednesday when you're trying to lock up the one seed and you're thinking about the playoffs and all roads go through Milwaukee and it finally seems like we're getting kind of healthy and then Middleton goes down and hobbles off and doesn't come back. Good news 48 hours later on that. But despite Middleton going down, the Bucks get the win. They were down 10 early third quarter. And then it was Bobby Portis. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. He got the team lit up during a timeout. They were down 61-51. It felt like things were languishing, and he just took over a timeout. Budenholzer didn't talk. The assistant coaches didn't talk. He just took over the huddle. There was no strategy discussed there other than get your bleeps in the game. Get your get your effort leveled up. Get your game locked back in. We're only down 10 points. This is not insurmountable. Don't let this slip away. And as a Bucks fan in that moment with Middleton leaving the game and not coming back, and then you're down 10 points, then you start to think worst-case scenario. My God, if they lose this game, then they got Memphis on Friday. Memphis is playing all out. They still have a chance at the one seed in the West. That means Giannis is going to have to play a full game on Friday. You lose that game, and the Celtics win again. Then you've got to go to Toronto and get a win on Sunday. The Bucks don't play well against the Raptors. They don't play well in Toronto. You start to go down that path of, oh, boy, this could get ugly. 
But after that Bobby Portis timeout, the team rallies. They rip off a very quick 12-0 run, get in front. It was tight until the fourth quarter. Bucks broke away in the fourth quarter, led by Drew Holiday, led by Bobby Portis, led by Brooke Lopez, and led by their defense. They held the Bulls to 16 fourth-quarter points. DeMar DeRozan couldn't breathe with Drew Holiday on him and Wes Matthews on him and Jake Crowder on him. He didn't score a field goal until the fourth quarter. And you think back to that playoff matchup last year, that was one of the struggles for the Bucks defensively was defending that mid-range jumper that DeMar DeRozan from a different era, it feels like now with all the threes that get chucked up. He's, he's a, a vintage player from the 80s or 90s with that mid-range jumper. But they were having difficulty in the playoffs defending that. And they didn't have any trouble on Wednesday. They end up getting a 105-92 win. They win and they cover. And that gets them the number one seed with the magic number at one going into the night. It's just massive on so many levels. And we've talked about it over the weeks, but it's massive to have home court now. Any series they play, they will have home court, which means any game sevens they may run into, which you assume you're going to see against the Celtics at some point, or in the finals, any game seven will be played in Milwaukee. On top of having the home court, you also have a much easier path early in the Eastern Conference playoffs. You always wanted even more than the home court for the Sixers and Celtics to have to play each other, so you didn't have to play both of them. Now the Bucks will line up with whatever the eight seed ends up being after the play-in tournament. The Celtics look like they're going to get the Heat. The Heat are not what they were last year, clearly. But still, a tough matchup with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They have weapons there. They have to go through the heat. They'll have home court for that. They'll have home court against the Sixers. That's the likely second-round matchup. Hopefully, they just beat up on each other in that 2-3 matchup. The Bucks will have whatever eight seed, and then assuming they get past that, which I feel is a fair assumption. I don't think I'm going too crazy there. I don't think I'm mushing it. They'll take on then the winner of the Cavs and Knicks series. That's the 4-5 matchup. Again, is it conceivable the Knicks or Cavs could win a game or two against Milwaukee? Sure. Do I see either of those teams beating Milwaukee four times in seven games? No, I do not. And then hopefully you take care of that and have a couple of days of rest before whatever team it is comes out of that Sixers-Celtics matchup. But that's big. The rest is big. And the home court is big. All three of those things. Because now... With two games left, and the injury report is out, and they're just not playing anybody. You may have a situation tonight where they take a fan, and maybe a fan of the game gets to suit up as the 12th or 13th person tonight. They may have that as a promo tonight. But now you have 10 days. They would not play that first game, game one of the first-round matchup. I don't believe they would play that before Sunday, and it might even be Monday of next weekend or the week or the Monday after next weekend. So you're going to have a week and a half off here minimum to get everybody rested up. And then when I was thinking about things to talk about today on the podcast, the thought was we'll talk about rest versus rust. Will Mike Budenholzer and will the coaching staff and John Horst, will they decide to play their guys tonight against Memphis and Sunday a little bit against Toronto to make sure they're sharp and they don't have 10 days off before they play that game? And the answer we got this morning with the injury report is they are not going to keep those guys on the floor. They are going to opt for rest, which I like. They have Drew Holiday out tonight, Brooks out tonight, Giannis is out tonight, obviously Middleton's out tonight as he's recovering from that injury. He's not going to play on Sunday either. I suppose you could see a world where they throw a few of these guys out here on Sunday in Toronto just to have some game experience, a quarter or a quarter and a half, 15, 20 minutes, just so they have something in their back pocket before they play game one of that first round matchup. But if they rest them all on Sunday, I'm fine with that too. And you just navigate whatever you have to navigate in that first game. There's going to be some rust in the first quarter, maybe in the even the first half of that potential playoff game, that one versus eight matchup, not potential playoff game. <laughs> They're definitely playing a playoff game, definitely as the one seed. If you have to deal with a little rust there, that's fine. 
The thing I worry about if you throw some of those guys out there on Sunday, I don't worry about Drew so much. He's been durable outside of the illness thing he had to deal with early in the year. Brooks seems fairly durable. It seems like that back is holding up for him, although I would prefer for him to rest. I prefer Giannis resting both tonight and Sunday just because because Giannis, you can't trust him. He's a 110% guy. He treats his body like a rental car. The way that he plays the game dictates that he's going to get hit and hit hard and take hard falls onto the floor, into the stanchion, under the basket. If he's out there, you know he's given 110%, and that can lead to the potential for ending up in a situation where you might get hurt. For that reason, I would love to see Giannis not rest just tonight, but rest on Sunday as well. We'll see what they do on Sunday, but clearly tonight is a rest night. I know that's a bummer for the people that have tickets tonight, but whatever. That's the price you pay. That's the gamble you take. Most Bucks fans would say, we got the one seed, we got the home court, we got it all, and it's unfortunate if you have tickets for tonight and you're going to watch, I don't know, Jay Crowder's going to be out there, who's all going to play? Thanasis is going to get some run. You're going to see Thanasis get at least 20 or 25 minutes tonight. You get some energy out of him. You're going to see Marjan Bochamp out there, see what he can do with extended playing time. It's obviously a bummer if you're going and you're paying top ticket price for this kind of a game because before everything was figured out, this is a premier game. It's national TV. I'm pretty sure you've got Giannis taking on John Morant and all the great players in Memphis. Clearly now a lot of that advertising and a lot of that hype is going to be taken from it because the Bucks are resting everybody, but you got to do what you got to do. The main focus for this team is being as healthy as they can be for the playoffs and making a title run. But what a week for the Bucks! Just took care of business, have the one seed, and now we wait. This game doesn't matter tonight, doesn't matter on Sunday. We see how the play-in tournament's going to play out next week. I don't know if you're a Bucks fan, do you have a preference? I've heard a lot of debate about this on Bucks podcasts and on Bucks Twitter. Who would you prefer to see? The Bulls, obviously, given the way Wednesday went, you beat the Bulls pretty handily without Middleton and without Giannis. That seems to me like it would be the easiest of the first-round matchups. There's a chance in any first-round matchup you're going to lose a game. I guess there's a chance you lose a game or two. I don't foresee first-round series going six games for the Bucks. I foresee it being a sweep or a gentleman's sweep where it's over in five. You do have some teams in there, though, that are boogeymen teams or have been in the past. The Raptors, the history there is not great in the playoffs, but it's a much different Raptors team. They still have Fred Van Vliet, though, who tortured us in 2019. They still have Pascal Siakam. They've got some players. It's not like it was in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard, but they still got a lot of the guys from that team are still there. You could face Miami, which was a issue in the bubble, but not during the title run. They swept him in the first round. You could face Miami. You could face Atlanta, rematch of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021. They're a little bit of a different team now with the new head coach. You could face the Bulls, or you could face the Raptors. But we'll see how that all shakes down with the play-in tournament coming up next week. But we know where the Bucks stand, and now we wait for those anxiety-inducing playoff games. Moving over to the Brewers. What a week the Brew Crew had, too. The Mets in town. Hey, the Mets are a pennant contending team. This is a team that has some injuries right now, but they are expected to be a team that is going to compete for the NL East championship and not just that, but also for an NL pennant. They came in for opening day on Monday, and the Brewers put it on them. 10-0, Bryce Terang. He hits his first career home run with his family in the stands. That was awesome. They cut to his mom and dad in the crowd. I didn't realize his dad's a former major leaguer. But they cut to them. His mom's tearing up. They interview him during the game. Like we've talked about on this podcast in the beginning stages of the Brewer season, these youngsters are lifting the mood, a gloomy mood for Brewers fans and the players coming back from the 2022 team. The way that year ended, 
This has been such a refreshing sight to see these guys bring in this type of energy. They don't know anybody. They're like Labrador Retrievers, these guys. Terang and Mitchell, even though Mitchell did get a cup of coffee last year, and Joey Weimer and some of the newcomers, Brian Anderson and Jesse Winker. They don't know any better. They don't know the way last year ended. They don't know the way the whole thing fell apart and how bad the relationships seem to be getting between management and ownership and the locker room. They don't know any of that. And they've brought this refreshing breath of fresh air to the locker room, to the fan base. Terang has the Grand Slam on Monday. They whoop uh, on the Mets 10 nothing. Then they whoop them again on Tuesday. A 9 to nothing win there with the back-to-back-to-back jacks on Max Scherzer. Are you kidding me? On Max Scherzer, future Hall of Famer Max Scherzer. They go back-to-back-to-back. What a moment that was. Then they go back-to-back the next inning. Garrett Mitchell had two home runs. Brian Anderson had two home runs. They were just hammering the ball, win that game 9 to nothing, outscore the Mets 19 to nothing in back-to-back games. And then on Wednesday, they're down 6 to 4. Corbin Burns tough start. He'll be okay, right? He'll be fine. Pretty sure he'll be fine. Two bad starts. Every pitcher has a couple, two, three bad starts in a row. When they happen at the beginning of the year, there's more of a focus on it because the only stats they have are those games. He has looked uneven in his first couple of starts, gave up the home run ball twice to Pete Alonso, but the offense picked him up. And think back to last year, all of the games that Corbin Burns pitched where the Brewers lost 2-1 to one or lost 3-2 to two or lost 1 to nothing, where he made one mistake and the offense couldn't pick him up. He was snake-bitten like that all year. Well, the offense picked him up. Didn't pick him up on opening day, but they picked him up yesterday. Down 6-4 to four on Wednesday. Down 6-4, to four, Jesse Winker rips a two-out, two-RBI game-tying double. Game still tied in the ninth inning when Garrett Mitchell goes deep. I believe I have the call here. Yes, I do. Give me the Euchre call here. Hit in the air to right and deep. Get up. Get up. Get out of here. Gone for Garrett Mitchell. He just hit a walk-off out of here. And the Brewers have swept the New York Mets. injected right into my veins. Those Euchre winners, I cannot get enough of that. The Euchre home run calls early in the year for these young kids and then a walk-off home run. Did you see I blogged about this? There's a guy on Twitter. God bless him. He threw out an unpopular opinion, and it was very unpopular. It must have been on Monday during the home opener. This guy named Pat Mayo on, on Twitter, Joe Mayo. Joe Mayo's cousin. I don't know if that's his real name. I doubt it. He's a blue checkmark brewer guy on Twitter, and he said, unpopular opinion. What was his exact quote? Unpopular opinion. Might be time for Euchre to hang it up. He's making mistakes all over the place and doesn't seem to know the rules, dot, 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 the new rules. And Pat Mayo rightfully got dragged on Twitter for this take. Send him right to jail. That was my take on the blog. Directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not get a trial. Right to jail for seven days to think about what you've said. Yeah, of course Bob's making mistakes. That's Bob. Have you listened to a Brewer game over the years? Bob Euchre, it's not that he's 89 years old. Bob's been doing this his whole career. Bob, when he was 69 years old and 59 years old, was he on the air at 59 years old? I don't remember. I'm sure he was. When he was that those ages, he was making mistakes on the air and wasn't totally clear with who is at the plate or what the new rules are. That's Bob. When you turn in to a Brewer game and Euchre's on the call, 
It's 50-50 if the inning is correct. It's 50-50 if the pitcher-batter matchup is correct. 0% chance you're getting the score. One of the biggest gripes of any Brewer fan that has listened to Euchre on the radio over the years is tell me the score, Bob. I love Bob, but I can't tell you the amount of times during a radio broadcast, if I'm listening in the car or on a road trip, I have screamed at the radio, tell me the score, Bob. Bob, Bob, hello, Bob. Tell me the score of this game. It's been 17 minutes, and you haven't said the score. Are we winning or losing? But that's Bob. Bob has made mistakes for four decades, and we love him. We don't tune in for accurate information from Bob Euchre from Mr. Baseball. We tune in for the ad reads that are hilarious, the self-deprecating humor, the stories that are probably 80% made up for what we imagine he might be saying when he hits the cough button behind the scenes. By the way, there is a fantastic, it may not be on YouTube anymore, there is a fantastic Howard Stern segment with rest in peace Norm MacDonald where Norm is talking about hanging out with Bob Euchre during a spring training broadcast and what Bob would be saying when he'd hit the cough button. (laughs) One of the most brilliant 10-minute radio segments I've ever heard is that interview with Norm MacDonald talking about Bob Euchre. But that's why we tune in to Bob Euchre. We're not looking for things to be a 1,000% accurate. Of course Bob doesn't know the new rules. It's game three. I don't even know the new rules in game three. You want Bob Euchre at 89 years old to know all the new rules top to bottom in game three? Come on. Come on, Pat Mayo. Well, the Brewers get that walk-off winner. They're 5-1, five five-game winning streak in first place by a game over the Pirates. Surprising start with the Pirates, too. They're 4-2 and two to begin the year. That'll tail off at some point. Cardinals are 2-4 and four to begin the year. you love to see that. But a strong start for the Brewers, led by these young guys. And the number one problem for the Brewers so far this year has been Corbin Burns. We'll take that. I can't believe I'm saying that, but if that's our issue, he'll get it figured out. If that's our only issue right now, we will take that. Now, look, these young guys, they're going to have their slumps. They are going to get figured out. They're going to have opposing teams and pitchers getting into the film room, finding their weaknesses. How they adjust to that throughout the year is going to be a big part of this year's storyline. But how can you not be excited about Terang and Weimer and Mitchell? And these aren't even the best guys. The best guys, the the highest-rated prospects, the number one and number two prospects in the system, ahead of all of these guys, Weimer was third, I think. I want to say Mitchell was fourth, and Terang was fifth or sixth. Sal Fralick, who was awesome in spring training but just didn't have a roster spot for him, he's back in AAA. He's ripping the cover off the ball. He'll be up at some point, Sal Fralick. And now the number one prospect, he was the number three. Today he is the number one prospect in baseball, Jackson Chorio. He's the best of them all. That The two best guys are still yet to come. But it's been a really fun start to the year for the Brewers. It's very early, I get it, but a fun start. Now the Cardinals are in town. I can't forget if I discussed this on the air on the podcast on Monday, but there is a greater importance on these division games now because the schedule's all different. This is the first year where everybody's playing everybody. Everybody's playing every team at least once, and that means less division matchups. In previous seasons, you would meet your division rivals 18 times during the course of the year. Now it's 13. That means that every matchup you have with the Cardinals and the Cubs, and to a lesser extent the Pirates and the Reds, got to take care of business there. But they mean that much more. When you consider coming into the year, the Cardinals were the favorites to win the division. The Brewers were right behind them in terms of gambling odds. They are the one in two teams when you only have, when you have five less matchups now that you're going to see the Cardinals. And after this weekend, I believe you have one more series in the first half and then two, the next two come at the end of the second half towards September. You're not going to see them for a while. This is a time to build as much space as you can. 
It begins tonight. You've got Brandon Woodruff on the hill. What are the matchups? Woodruff takes on Jack Flaherty. Flaherty has had a mastery over the Brewers over the years. That is a 7-10 first pitch. Tomorrow night is that Giannis Brewers jersey. I was wondering earlier this week, I was looking at ticket prices on StubHub, and they were way more expensive for Saturday than any other day on this homestand. I thought, why is that? And then I saw Giannis Brewers jersey. 6-10 with Eric Lauer taking on Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery was that trade line acquisition for the Cardinals last year. The lefty who had the team mesmerized. Anytime the Brewers faced Montgomery, they were baffled and tied up in knots. That is 6-10 on Saturday. Then it wraps up Easter Sunday 1-10 with Freddie Peralta on the hill for the crew. But I would say a fairly important, not critical or crucial or pivotal, but I would say a fairly important early season matchup with the Cardinals at AmFam Field. And then finally today, we will go with, hold on, we got to get our, get the masters. Tone down the voice a little bit. Talk a little bit slower. Enunciate those syllables a bit more with the patrons and the, what's the flower? The azalea? Is that what they are? Make sure you're very specific. This is borderline NPR. This is borderline ASMR. That's what you have when you play this music in the background. And you get Jim Nance's voice, which is peanut butter wrapped in French silk smooth. Hello, friends. It's the best. We are underway with day two, as I talked about on the air, maybe. Our guy, I make a bet on the winner of every major championship every year. I have not won. (laughs) I've never won. I've been doing this for seven or eight years. For every major, I will pick a golfer to win. And if you win, it's a pretty big payday because golf, like any sport that has a large field, NASCAR is the same way. Even if you pick the favorite, it pays a lot. The favorite for this year's Masters is Rory McIlroy. He paid seven plus seven twenty-five, a hundred dollars. And if he wins, he wins seven hundred twenty-five dollars. Those are really good payouts, but that's because it's extremely difficult to pick a winner for a golf tournament or a NASCAR race or any event where you've got a field of 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 people, so much can happen where the guy that you bet on could be out of it. I always think of NASCAR. NASCAR was one of the first sports back during the pandemic, and I picked a few winners early on, but anything can happen. You could do all the research on the track and the racer's history at the track and put in all the hours and make the best possible educated guess, and then on lap two, they could get taken out from behind, slam into the wall, and their day's done. Golf is similar. You had withdraws on Thursday. You have a guy that goes out there and is plus three or four in the first four or five holes, and basically his whole tournament is sunk. My guy this time is John Ram or John Rom, and Rom did not start well on Thursday. He had a double bogey on hole one, so I thought, oh boy, this lasted all of one hole. But then he got it together. And he's seven under. He was tied for the lead entering today. Where are we? I'm recording this at 1037 a.m. on Friday, so don't hold me to any of this. But he has not teed off yet, I don't think. Hovland and Rom tied in coming into the day with Kepka. Kepka's underway, and Kepka's having a nice day. He's three under through 12. Kepka now the leader. He's been quiet on the major scene since that run in 2018 where it felt like he won everything. He is now 10 under, three strokes ahead. Uh, is it Hovland or Hovland? And John Rahm. Jason Day is in the mix now, too. He's two under on the day. He's also seven under. But my guy's in it. The point is my guy is in it. He was plus 1,300 at the start of the tournament. Bet $100. Did we bet 100 or did we bet 200 or 300 I won't tell you. I won't tell you unless we win at plus 1,300. But I'm just happy he's in the mix. That's what you hope for when you make a bet like that. You're just hoping 
that your guy is in the mix. He's in striking distance on Sunday. Hopefully, Rom can do that for me. I've bet on him a few times. I've also bet on McElroy a few times and Spieth thinking at some point they're going to get it together and win another major. But Kepka's the story right now. He was tied at 7-under to enter the day. He's 3-under on the day. He leads it now by three strokes at 10-under. The other question for the Masters will be the weather. Rain is supposed to start later today on Friday and be heavy throughout. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while. Well, we'll see. We'll find out. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while. Find out later today if that's true or not. But weather is going to impact it. This may actually spill into Easter Monday. But right now, my boy is in it, John Rump. When we come back on Easter Monday, we'll recap Brewers and Cardinals and the Bucks. we know are the number one team. That's not going to change over the weekend. If it does, something has gone catastrophically wrong. But maybe we'll know a little bit more about how that play-in tournament's going to work. We'll know what the matchups are on, in the Eastern Conference on that side of things, and that will set up a whole week where we figure out who the Bucks are going to play in round one. We'll recap that as well. As recap the Masters, my guess is with that weather, it could still be going on. We could still be talking about a tournament that's happening on Monday. But we'll join you Easter Monday. Have a happy, safe weekend with family and friends. We'll chat with you then.